0: Welcome to Techtastic the podcast that explores the cutting-edge world of technology and its impact on society. Join us on this journey of discovery and exploration as we navigate the fascinating and ever-evolving world of technology. This is Tektastic. On today's Tektastic, I'm going to talk about a topic that I used to cover in a previous podcast two decades ago, but I'm going to talk in a different way because I don't know that I've ever really landed what I'm trying to express. So most people think about entrepreneurship as a very risky endeavor. And I've honestly thought that that was nonsense. I think that the best entrepreneurs are the ones that have figured out how to de-risk being an entrepreneur and that working for a large enterprise as anything other than the CEO or C-suite is a far riskier endeavor. You're putting your future into the hands of people that though they might state it, aren't really therefore your best outcomes their job is to ensure the best outcomes for the company and often that's a direct conflict to you as an individual as an employee of that company this is why layoffs exist riffs right if uh, if it was in the best interest of the employees, there would be no such thing as a riff big caveat there oftentimes uh, if you're getting to the point of a layoff or a riff, Uh, The viability of the company going forward is in question and therefore like it's it's the question of how many people can we save versus how many do we have to let go to save, you know, the biggest bunch. Um, So big caveat there. So, okay, risk, right? So you have to mitigate risks if you're going to go become an entrepreneur, if you're gonna go start a new venture. And you really, you know, the risks that you have are, you know, multitudinous. There are so many. But the biggest one is that you've got the pitch wrong. Like you've got the wrong idea. You've got the wrong market. You've got the wrong solution. So the way that I've always thought about mitigating the risks of starting a new venture was to simply apply the scientific method to you know, coming up with the idea in the first place and then validating it as we go. And what does that mean? Well, it starts with, just like anything else in science, making an observation. I'm looking at a particular market because maybe I'm in it. I'm an executive for a, a you know a, a customer, a potential customer of my new enterprise that has a particular problem and I've observed it. I believe that uh, there's something there. So now I have to ask a question of that. Why does that problem exist and how am I to be solved? Following that, I form an, a hypothesis. I have to have a testable explanation for it. And this is where most people get it wrong. They, they might've made the observation and they might ask some good questions, but they're, they don't think of their solution and their idea as a hypothesis. They think of it as a proof or they believe that it's true and they don't make it testable. Now, the reality is, if anything that you put into a market is testable, is it getting customer adoption or is it not? Are you able to charge for it at a rate that allows you to become profitable? Maybe not today, but in the future. These are things that you can test and the results will be in the form of monetary reward, customer adoption, the typical top line and bottom line business. So... You have to come in with that in mind, knowing that that's actually what's going to occur. And the sooner, the faster that you can form that hypothesis and and test it, the better you can adapt it because you're going to make predictions based on that hypothesis this is actually what a business plan is you're saying that i'm going into this world and i'm going to absorb this much of this market or i'm going to create this new market opportunity and we're going to become a billion dollar company right that's what's that that's my prediction based on the hypothesis that i have but i'm not testing that prediction implicitly i'm not creating earlier moments in time that validate my hypothesis or better you know invalidate doesn't matter I'm trying to prove that what I'm doing is the right thing to be doing. Now the successful entrepreneurs are the ones that find, they do this and they and they probably pivot a few times. There are the big pivots. There are the, you know, the case of like Slack where they were building a massively multiplayer online role-playing game. And in the process of building that, they built some tools for themselves and the tools themselves became the product going forward. That's a massive pivot, but along the way, often you'll find that there are a hundred little pivots you need to make. Maybe I thought I was going to go after the fortune 100 companies with my enterprise SaaS, right? That's a lot of companies or a lot of startup founders think they're going to do that. And they find that like, actually, no, uh, my better opportunity is the small to medium enterprise. Uh, But there are a hundred assumptions that you make in your first pitch for any thing that you're gonna start and you maybe you don't even know that they're assumption but the faster that you can test those assumptions and the faster that you recognize that you have made them uh, the more likely are you are to succeed because the thing that you have advantage of is your speed and adaptability and you need to maximize this When any VC, startup founder, entrepreneur talks about failing fast, this is what they really mean is that you're going to put out these ideas and you're going to test them and you're going to determine whether or not they're valid. And the faster you can do that, the faster you can allow yourself to be wrong, the more likely you are to be successful because you have a limited time window. Even if you're bankrolling the whole thing yourself, there's only so long you can do that before the market catches up, before the opportunity that you found been captured by somebody else whether that's the incumbent or somebody else with a great idea somebody else just like you out there so time is your enemy speed is your weapon so please go fast break things but you have to be able to adjust adapt overcome so if you've tested the prediction now i just said you have to adapt overcome you need to iterate And uh, that means using the results to make another hypothesis or a prediction. It doesn't mean that you're just changing things. It means that you're making intentional decision based on the results of, of the feedback and the testing that you've run on what needs to adapt and how you need to change. And it can fundamentally alter the course. And this is where a lot of the pivots should come from, honestly. If uh, you, in your initial observation and in, uh, question phase, you misidentified the opportunity, you formed a hypothesis that was flawed, and maybe it's in something profound regarding your hypothesis. Maybe it's uh, the problem wasn't really there, or the problem's deeper than you thought, or it affects them in a different way, or whatever it is. Uh, it, it can be all, It can be something that redirects the entire course of your enterprise of the company you're trying to start. Uh, even in the incumbent, even in the very large enterprise that dominates a market, they can misunderstand their own customer. In a particularly large market, in something in the you know the many trillions of dollar range, this is frequent. You see the you know the the giants of yesterday are gone, and they've been replaced by somebody else. I think of you know cell phones and uh, consumer electronics as a prime example of where that happens. Uh, there there was very large companies that were dominant for a while, and they believed they understood their market, they believed they understood their customer. But somebody else came along and said, I don't think that's quite right. And they changed and ripped the rug out right from underneath them. Uh, In big markets, that can happen because what looks like a dominant position, what looks like you're being extraordinarily successful because of scale, you look at it and say, well, we're a 35 billion or 100 billion dollar company we must have really got it right. But when you're a $100 billion company in a $2 trillion market space, you're you're big, but you're not insurmountable. You're, there's so much additional space within that market for people to find a foothold. Uh, and all they have to do is find something that you miss, that you can miss out. You can no longer be the dominant player in that space because somebody absorbed that other $800. Billion dollars of the market or a big chunk of it. And there are there are certain markets that are ripe for that, and they tend to be the very large ones. And this is why I also, like I, I have so much advice I want to give to everybody who's starting an enterprise right now. If you're trying to start up right now, there's so much I want to say. And one of them is pick big targets. If you're, you know, you, you can't form your hypothesis, make your observations of, of a small market and then adapt it into a large market. That doesn't usually work too well um, because, what might be a problem to a very small niche isn't necessarily the same type of issue that you're gonna see in a a much larger space. And because of the size of the market, there's probably a lot of existing companies and solutions in the space. And so you have to outperform them. So look for the big market, but then zero in. If if you're sitting in a trillion dollar market, uh, that's great, now zero in on on a small piece of it that's very, very concrete and clear and try to solve the problem there. I, I'm not a big fan of the entrepreneur that looks for the market first and then finds the opportunity w- within it through discovery because it can be it, it can be a very long and therefore a very expensive process to do. It's better if you're coming from it. Like if you've got expertise in that space, you already know the problems, you already know who's gonna be the, the responsible party that's gonna purchase your solution. Uh, that's a huge advantage and that gives you a lot of speed advantage. And since speed is your, that's your thing. That's the, that's the weapon you've got. Uh, anything that can give you more speed is a benefit, which gets to me to another thing. You should always be automating everything. I'm not, I'm not going to say that the four hour work, work week, uh, transformed my life. I, I don't live the four hour work week. I, I never have. I do think that there was a ton of really good advice from that book and most of that came down to identifying the unique value proposition you as the human the entrepreneur in this space represent and do that hand off everything else either automate it or outsource it there's a there is a trade-off clearly i mean you're paying somebody else to do it if you're outsourcing it you're spending time which that's the one thing you don't have To automate things, but what it's giving you back is a lot more time. If it takes you four hours to automate something that every day takes you 10 minutes, what's the payback on your time? When you know that, and you know the value of your time, the things that you can create with that that availability, uh, you can make those judgment calls. For me, I know the value of my time because I charge for it. When I do consulting, this is what I charge, so I can look at it and say, look, it's going to take me an hour to do that. This. Outsource opportunity to have somebody else do it for me costs significantly less than that, therefore worth doing or like I said earlier, it it might take me four hours to automate something, but it saves me 10 minutes every day. In a week, I've already paid back the first hour in four weeks, the first month it's paid off every day after that. It's it's a benefit to me. It's saving me. I mean, it's saving me all along, but now it's saved me and it's continuing to compound. Think of it like investing. I want to maximize my return on my investment, and there are many ways of doing that, but compound interest and compounding of interest is in your advantage. It's something that you can leverage, and there are two things that you can impact that with. The rate of return, of the percentage I'm getting compounded, and the frequency by which it compounds. And if there's a task that you do every day, that's a high frequency. If there's a task you do every hour, that's an extremely high frequency right? So now the cost is your rate of return. How long does it take me to do it? If it takes me a day to do something once a week, well, once a week, something I do 52 times a year. If it takes me a day to do it, a day is a very high uh, rate of return for me. I'm going to automate it or I'm going to outsource it. The smaller you can get the time that's required of you to do the things that are unnecessary, the more time you can spend on the things that are necessary. And that, when I said that speed is your weapon you just got a much bigger weapon so th- there are many things that you can do to lower the risk of going at a, you know going it alone or starting your own company and uh, here's just a couple pieces of advice go as fast as you possibly can eliminate all the noise that you can be focused realize that you're probably wrong and be willing to adapt and test everything No, you know no facts from fiction as fast as you can The reason that this is such a timely topic for me and and that I've diverted away from modern technology and all the major innovations that are going on and how it affects our lives is because I have quite a few friends that are right now starting their new company. They've got an idea, they've got the capabilities, they've had a career of being very successful, they know how to deliver results. And so they're jumping in and doing this, they're taking that bet on themselves. And I'm excited for them you know, I want them to be successful, but I, I worry. I worry that they're going to make the mistakes that I've witnessed. So many others do, uh, that I've done myself, that so many of us fall into. And so I'm putting this out there, hoping that, you know, as part of that extended family and friends group that you represent as listeners of TechTastic, that it helps you a little bit. And if you have questions about that, if you have questions about anything I've talked about today, if I wasn't uh, detailed enough, if I'm missing, Really important information that you think can help you. Hey, reach out. Uh, the best way to get a hold of me is hammer at tectastic.tech, and I look forward to that conversation and, and maybe helping you find your way and guide you where I can. I'm not the I'm not uh, you know the world's best entrepreneur, but I've had some success. So thank you for listening. And that's a wrap for this episode of Tastic. I want to thank you personally for joining us, and we'll see you next time. Until then, keep exploring and stay curious.